Um, hello and welcome everyone to our episode today with Mitch Henderson. Uh, he's doing a PhD in sports science at the moment and also working for Rugby Australia. Thanks for coming on, Mitch. No problems, Knuckle. How are you going, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, look, as always, you know, we, as much as I'd love to talk about ourselves and <laughs> what we're trying to do, uh, which we've just started off air, but um, we always like to start off with our, with our guests. So um, can you tell us a bit more about your background? Yep, sure. Um, so I've, I've grown up on the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, went to the local public school here and, and moved up to Sydney in, in 2013 to study sport and exercise science at UTS, uh, the University of Technology, Sydney. Um, I got into sports science, or working in sports science in the final year of, of my degree where I got an internship at the West Tigers Rugby League Club through one of my tutors in the course. Uh, I did that for the, the 2016 season um, and at the end of that season, started an honours project with the, the Rugby Sevens, and I've been working at the Rugby Sevens ever since. And this is my third, third, third or fourth year with the Rugby Sevens now. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think you obviously just mentioned, you know, you started your career in, in Rugby League with the West Tigers. You're saying off air that you, you really love your Rugby League. Um, what did that role involve early on in your career? It was a pretty classic sort of, sport and exercise science internship really like it was, a, it was a mix of data collection analysis strength and conditioning um speaking with coaches generating reports dashboards yeah. sort of stuff like that working with performance data strength testing training um gps heart rate it, it was a good sort of mix of of the different realms of, of sport and exercise science so i got to try it all out which was which was good um yeah. What started as the internship for the first half of the season progressed into a, a part-time job for the second half of the season because one of the staff members left, so that was that was pretty cool as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a good little mix. Yeah, cool. Um, and I, I think we were talking about um, you know different sports and sort of like where they're up to in their you know data analytics journey. Um, I think in Australia we're we're pretty much scratching the surface, but. As of you know, a few years ago in, in the rugby league, was it mainly sort of like you get all the data and you you play around with Excel and CSV files, or did they have anything sort of I guess more advanced or, or more tech savvy than that? Uh, what I was exposed to was purely Excel and CSV based stuff. Um, I wasn't even using any of the sort of BI tools um, that are really just as easy, if not easier, sometimes yeah. than Excel um, at the time because I just didn't didn't even know about it. Uh, yeah. There's very likely that a lot of the other teams were doing some more advanced stuff, but at least for me, and I was I was working mainly with reserve grade at the time. Um, yeah, it was all Excel, CSV based stuff. Yeah, cool. Well, look, I promise you, we'll, we'll get uh, we'll get a chance to talk about the more advanced stuff that you've been doing more recently later on in the interview. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, obviously, with um with, with the PhD at the moment that you're doing in sports science at UTS, um, yeah. tell us about your area of research. Yep. So. My PhD was born out of longer term preparation for the Tokyo Olympics, or the 2020 Olympics that, until recently, um, uh, because they were expecting that to be the hottest ever modern Olympics. And the, the, yeah, the Australian Olympic Committee was, was having a big push for all the national sporting organisations to be really appropriately prepared for conditions like that. And uh, my research kind of took the angle that there's heaps of evidence already available on endurance sports, individual sports, lab-based uh, heat training methods, but there isn't a whole lot 
um, for team sports or stuff that would be applicable for team sports or affordable for team sports when you've got 20 players that, that you're trying to prepare. So mine kind of took that angle that is there any low-cost field-based protocols that can achieve a, a similar outcome? Um, so that's that's it basically without going into all the, the finer details. <laughs> now, I'm sure you could, uh, like if you're spending sort of years on this, I'm sure you could talk about this for half an hour. But um, I guess in, in layman's terms, like the, the work that you're doing there, like can you sort of tell us the rough split of, of how you spend your time? Like I assume some of it is is dealing with whether it's coaches or, or people in the industry, some of it would be the, the data side. You know, what's involved and, and roughly how much are you spending your time in the keys of the two or three areas? Mm. So it's, it's, it's developed a bit in my time at the Sevens. So I started working with the men's Sevens for I was two seasons and then I had one yeah. season with the women's Sevens and now I'm back working with the men's Sevens. And my role was kind of changed over the times, but... It kind of started as a bit of a 50-50 split between a, a traditional sports science and, and an S&C um, with the women's sevens that I was doing up until well, pretty well the whole 2019. It was yeah. almost a, a pure sports science. I, w I wouldn't say data science because I wouldn't consider my skill set at, at the level of a data science, but a, a sports science with yeah. a major focus in managing data for the last season, but just as of February, I've come back to the men's seven side and I've been doing a lot of more coaching in the gym, on the field yeah. stuff as well, as well as still maintaining a bit of the, the data work that I was doing in the past, which I enjoyed. So it's good to get, awesome. get, get back to doing a bit of both. Yeah, nice. Like it seems like a pretty good mix. Like you're not sort of stuck behind a computer all day, but you're also still getting enough exposure that the data analysis side will definitely, like you'll definitely yeah. improve on that. The, um, I suppose it's one of the benefits of working with the sevens is we don't have all the resources of, of like an AFL team yeah. would have and, and we kind of have to be a bit more of a generalist. Yeah. No, awesome. Um, and, and the research and the work that you're doing at the moment with the PhD and the work with the sevens, um, do you think that would be applicable to, to other sports and, and what are the couple of sports that come to mind straight away? Definitely applicable for any team sport, like sort of field-based team sport that yeah sometimes has to perform in really hot and humid conditions. So the ones that immediately come to mind uh, would be cricket, rugby league, rugby union, AFL, soccer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hockey. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the big ones well, that I think of. When you said cricket, I just, this is a, a ridiculous example to bring up, but I, I played park cricket on the weekends and we, had, <laughs> um, we played cricket on the Saturday where it was like 45 degrees a couple of months ago. Definitely yep. could have used a bit of assistance that day. And I was hungover as well, so that didn't help. <laughs> either. Yeah, I mean, some, some nations, like I would imagine the subcontinent nations are probably pretty well prepared for that year round because that's just what they live in. But places like England, yeah. particularly, um, I'm sure have a, there's a lot more space for them to improve. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and your role with Rugby Australia, can you tell us um, a bit about the work that you're doing over there? Yeah, um, again, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mix. At the moment, just the men's sevens coaching the, well, we've got 20, 20 athletes at the moment. At, at the moment, I'm, I'm not working because of the coronavirus, but yeah. um, due back on the 1st of July and we'll be in preparations for the 2021 Olympics now. Um, so yeah, full steam ahead. 
Nice. Okay. And um, I think, you know, I was, was going to get into that. There's obviously like, you know, the, the main bodies in Australia, like NRL, AFL, Rugby Australia, then all the clubs that, that go below that. Um, in terms of the structure in the performance analysis and sports science space, um, you obviously you don't need to go into too much detail, but just high level, like what's the sort of, what are the main roles? And because, you know, we were just talking off air about the, the caps now, that are potentially going to come into all the sports, but how many people you could have in your support staff and what the salary caps would be, et cetera. But how does it work in rugby in terms of the, the national level and, and the state in terms of how the roles play out within the team? Yeah. So we have uh, a national head of athletic performance who oversees all the, at least the professional teams within Rugby Australia, being yeah. Wallabies, all the super rugby teams, the men's and women's sevens, the Wallaroos, um, and he... Uh, I suppose is responsible for all the performance programs within each of those, but yeah. within within each of those, it's it's a fairly traditional high performance structure in that we've got a, a high performance manager who will oversee the the physios, the SNCs, the sports science staff, the any analysis staff that that they might have. Um, some are more resourced than others. Like at the sevens where I work, we're, we're probably a little lighter on than than the Super Rugby and the Wallabies. It's just sort of what it is. Uh, the, Wall the Wallabies actually have quite a sophisticated uh, analytic staff, I suppose you'd call them. There's um, uh, sort of three or four guys that, that are really skilled in, in their data management abilities that, that do a lot of really good work there. Um, and outside of there, it's, it's sort of a, a mix. Some, some teams will, will put a lot of emphasis and put a lot of resources into their technology and analysis departments and others not so much um right but yeah no awesome yeah i wasn't aware that there was there's so many re resources in that space within the wallabies which is really cool yeah um, there's um there's some really good guys it's sort of run by a guy named kahal garvey and there's a, a sports data scientist named andrew novak there that that would be right. that'd be good to get on this podcast actually um because they're both infinitely smarter than i am and and right. yeah we're working with national team so that's pretty cool yeah wow awesome um cool all right um and look obviously we've already alluded to the coronavirus has obviously had a, a pretty direct impact on the sporting industry in australia and, and globally um are there any areas that you know in the downtime that you've had that you've managed to upskill in yeah i've i'm working through a coursera course at the moment on uh statistics uh as it's applied to science um by a guy named daniel larkins who's a Dutch associate professor, uh, and that's really good. I'm, that's just for, well, partly for my own research and partly just so I can have a better philosophical understanding of, of stats. Um, I've also, in my downtime, developed a, a very modest website where I can do some blog posts, um, which, which so far have both just been R tutorials um, and some YouTube videos, which I've I've put in the posts as well so that's yeah. kept me busy as, as well as doing my own research stuff yeah nice um and, and i was just going to say like with the i had a quick look at the youtube videos and and they seem if, if you were in the sports space they'll be really relevant really interesting to check out um do they like the work that you're doing here with the self-learning is that directly applicable to the work that you would be doing within rugby um or is it a bit of a stretch in terms of what you're doing right now uh, no, I wouldn't consider it a stretch. The anything that I've sort of learned was out of 
I wouldn't say out of necessity, but it was out of me looking for a better way to do things than I was currently doing them um, yeah. at, at work. So a big part of it was trying to find a more reproducible and automated workflow with a lot of my um, sports science work, I suppose you'd say. And yeah, yeah I was, I've had some success in, in being able to do that and speaking with other people that do similar roles. So it seems to be not as common knowledge as, as it probably could be. And a, a lot of people's work could be easier if this, these skills were more widely known. So I thought there could be some value in putting this out there for some people. No, awesome. Okay. Um, and we'll just talk about your, you know, your YouTube channel and your GitHub. You talk about using Excel and R for, for sport data analysis. Um, when did you start looking into data analysis and, and using these tools? And what are a couple of the main things that you've learned along the way? Um, I started in 20, the end of 2016 when I went to the sevens. Um, yeah. but, well, that was sort of when I started accelerating beyond the, the Excel and CSV type work. I had a really good mentor at the sevens named Simon Harries, who's now working at Greater Western Sydney Giants as their rehab coordinator. And, and he's brilliant with this stuff. And he cool. kind of showed me the, the light, so to speak, in that things can be done a, a so much better way. Um, if you just put a bit more sort of effort and thought into it. Um, so it all developed from there. And yeah, it, it's sort of taken me till now. So that's almost three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years. Um, and I've been continuously working on it since. Um, the the main things, like, like I said before, the main things are, are probably having a, a reproducible and automated way to to achieve an outcome. And that's, and that's been really helpful for me, both for my time management and for detecting errors and, and just consistency of my work. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, and look, obviously, it's a super competitive industry um, and, you know, the opportunities that are out there in the industry may potentially be even more limited, you know, going in the next sort of year or two. Um, for people that are doing like a sports science undergrad, for example, people trying to crack into the industry, um, what what advice would you have for those people? Uh, I guess over the next year or two. Mm, it's it's a hard question, and yeah. I wish I wish I had more definitive answers. Um, but one one thing that I've always been a big believer in is that if you are laser focused on delivering quality work, that there's always going to be someone that that wants you and, and wants to be able to benefit from your work. Um, so yeah, more so than focusing on promoting yourself and things, which do have a place, but I've, I've yeah. always been a, yeah, a big believer in that. If, if your work's good, then someone will want you um, cool. above. And then there's all the obvious stuff like being enjoyable to be around and being really keen to work. But in terms yeah. of technical skills, um, just, just keep getting better. And, and yeah, the, there'll be people that want, want you. Yeah, and we were talking about this just before we started recording. and. And I'd be keen to get your thoughts on it. Um, but I, I was saying that I, I've been speaking to a couple of people in the sports science space in Australia, and essentially we we're talking about you know the soft cap and um, and potentially a cap on on how many people you're allowed to have in your support staff for sporting teams, given all the restrictions with coronavirus. So if the amount of opportunities in the industry are limited for say the next year or two, um, people are going to have to start wearing more hats, um, and you know you're not necessarily going to be just just the sports science person or, or just the data person, you're going to have to start. Like what, what you're already doing with, with R and Excel and learning these skills, 
would you say that if you're someone that's sort of graduating and looking for an internship at the moment, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you yeah, think yeah, that yeah. there's value in trying to pick up those skills and, and being in, in the environment within Rugby Australia? Like, can you see those skills being valued, obviously beyond just the core working hard and being enthusiastic? Yeah, the obvious, the obvious stuff that applies to pretty well every job in the world. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't envisage any circumstance where having more skills is, is not going to help. Like there's, there's a cost to benefit to learning anything. Um, yeah. And if, if you want to work in sports science, I think these skills are going to be expected for sure moving into the future. Um, I've, I've sort of been tossing in my own head about whether someone that is, is really keen on just being like a strength and conditioning coach, which is sort of a big, part of the world that I've sort of been educated in and a lot of people are like that whether it's worth learning programming for them and I'm still not confident in saying yes or no um, but if, if, if you want a job in sports science sports tech uh, anything like that I think you would be crazy to, to think that uh, you can get by without knowing these skills in the future right okay and in terms of the like the I guess the industry overall obviously you know for people that are lucky enough to work within the sporting organizations and sporting clubs, that's, I assume for most people in your industry, the number one priority. Um, but for people that, that aren't able to crack it, whether it's through a lot of their own or, or limited opportunities, what are some other areas that, you know, if you had to transition out of the high performance environment, are there in, is there enough scope to get a job within like a, a sport tech company or a sport science startup? Are there enough of those around or are they pretty limited and super competitive as well? I really don't know. That's a good question. I, I I've never really looked, so it's it's sort of hard to say. Um, yeah. I think a, a lot of people that sort of follow paths like mine, um, as in sports science as well as a bit of research, often look at academia as their bit of a fallback. Right. Um, which you know, if if something was to happen to me uh, at, at my role, I'd probably look to to do some teaching in the short term while I look for other roles in sport. Right. Um, but it's an interesting thought. Um, I, I'd definitely be open to sort of checking out any sports science startups or sports tech startups because I, I find them interesting. But yeah, I'm, I've got very little knowledge of, of how prevalent they are. Yeah. And, and funnily enough, like I'm on the flip side and, and that's why I asked the question. Like for me, obviously, I've spoken to a few people that are doing their PhDs and are completely just didn't think about how that could be the obvious second option. So I guess if we're yeah. saying as an option, there's the sporting clubs and organizations, there's, you know, the, the universities and potential teaching options there. And then I guess, you know, if the economy can sort of stabilize and, and we can get back on track, um, there's quite a few Australian companies that are doing really well in, in that sort of sports science and sports tech space. But um, I think it's just a case of it. It's obviously not going to happen overnight, but I think in the next sort of like three to five years, if we can keep growing that space, that can be like a legitimate sort of second or third option for a lot of people. Um, and then if you've got those data skills, that would only help in terms of opening up those doors. Mm, I have to keep my finger on the pulse. <laughs> no, awesome. Okay. Um, and look, the last one, I love asking this question. So I guess to change it up a little bit, you know, you've got the skills that you're learning for your PhD, you've got experience in the rugby league and rugby union, you've got experience working with players firsthand, you've got a, and the data side as well, right? You've got a pretty broad skill set. It's almost like I'm selling you. But <laughs> 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 Um, you've got a pretty broad skill set. You've got some good experience with it as a broad range of sporting um, organizations and clubs. 
But if you had to put your skills to a task, um, you know, using your skill set and you had to help out a specific team or a specific player, can you tell us an example of, of what you'd love to work on and why? Yep. This, and this was a hard one to answer because I, I really didn't know where to start with this. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of European football. I, I spent a bit of time in Europe and sort of started following it while I was over there. And um, I was living in France for a while and really enjoyed that. Um, so when I look at a team like Paris Saint-Germain in, in the, the French League and the Champions League and things, um, I know that a lot of their performance staff are, are really cutting-edge kind of guys, always looking to innovate and improve the, the way that high-performance sport and, and high-performance science is, is delivered. Um, I, I really admire what they do there, and I would really love to work in a team like that that can try and change the culture of, of high-performance science in soccer because the yeah. sort of the it's sort of known around the world amongst the sports science and high-performance sport uh, circles that there's a bit of a, a, a culture of, I don't know what you'd call it, neglect or just yeah. that they'll um, dismiss a lot of cutting-edge science um, around, around sports performance uh, just because of tradition. And right. uh, it'd be good to be a part of the, a, a part of the changing of the guard, I suppose, in, into showing them the value of, of, of science in high-performance sport. And it looks like the, the guys that are there are doing a really good job, but to be able to contribute to that would be, would be pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. All right, cool. Well, look, thanks for coming on, Mitch. It was, um, it was super interesting. I think um, we, we covered a few different topics there, but I think it'll be really valuable, the stuff that you had to say, especially at the end, around sort of, you know, people that are coming into the industry and, and the data side, which uh, I don't know, it's, it's sort of not spoken about as much as all the sexier stuff, you know, actually being able to work with clubs. But, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, um, it's not taught at uni, really, full stop. Uh, well, at least when I finished in sort of 2016, it, it, it wasn't taught unless they've added it more recently. It's sort of yeah. all been through my own work or my own research that I've been able to get to the point where I'm at, so... Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hopefully it'll be it'll be able to help out people coming through and, and then taking the initiative as well. Um, we'll have links up to your your LinkedIn, your Twitter, and your blog page for people to check out. Um, so they'll get in touch directly. But look, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for the chat. No problem, mate. Thanks for having me on. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to check out more of our content, go to sporttechdaily.com or follow us on social media across Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram.